Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. We continue our study in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43, and we'll actually be dipping into chapter 44 this morning as we'll be going through verse 5 of chapter 44. So 43, 16 through 44, 5. Before we go to God's word, let's go to him again in prayer and ask for his help with it. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we come to <clears throat> this big book again that is sometimes very strange to our ears, sometimes difficult for us to understand about a people that lived so long ago we can't even imagine. But ultimately these things are all about you. And so we pray that you would direct our hearts accordingly. We ought to know the things about you. And so help us as your people to not be sidetracked thinking this is about us. We pray this in your name. Amen. When I was younger, probably in my early to mid-teens, we got some three-wheelers for Christmas. My parents are going to love this story. This is one of the This is one of the stories where I look like a silly dude again. You know, those are always fun. So I loved riding around the country. We lived out in the middle of nowhere, literally. And uh, I love love riding around the country on my bicycle. I've been doing that for years, and I loved all the freedom. But now I was going to have the ability to go to those same places a lot faster, a lot more dangerously. I've tended to, and I still do really, to be a pretty cautious person. And so this was a little weird for me. I knew it was fun and going to be fun, but I was also, it was super scary a little bit. I'd never been on anything like that, and so it was just kind of a new experience. My brother, of course, jumped right on, went right after it. And I was sitting there overthinking the whole thing, didn't know what to think. So we went on our first ride down this old fence road that's in front of our house. And um, this road was frequented by big tractors and big trucks. And so there were a lot of times divots in the road or dips and it had just snowed. So it was kind of this, you know, this, that whole thing. And um, we were going down the road and I got caught in one of these deep ruts. With an all-terrain vehicle, you know, you'd think, okay, just get out of the rut. Because I saw my brother going in and out of it, and he didn't care anything. But along with my fear of driving this thing to begin with, this was just nightmare fuel for me. I was stuck in this thing. My brother, just like I said, he got in and out of it. But for me, I, it was like I was put there in that rut to die. And uh, it took me right into the ditch. And I just, just kept going and went right in the ditch. Rather than see the trouble, steer out of it, rather than just, you know, stop pushing the gas, which would have been smart, I just went right into that ditch. Uh, it wasn't deep or anything, I'm still here, so it didn't, it wasn't bad, it was just oops, scary. I got back on the three-wheeler later that day and of course got over myself and had a lot of fun. Um, but it's funny how that rut represented to me when I read through this text and thought and thought about that story how we can get in this rut sometimes and a lot of, you know this is kind of a it's become kind of a, a christian colloquialism of sorts like being in a rut in your faith and that sort of thing and it's not at all what we what we think at all it's not that we be, need to be more have a more exciting devotional or go to some conference or something like that it's just that we need to turn back to christ who is never stale who's only ever making things new, 
And if, it, if we're in a rut, it's because we've veered away from Him somehow. And so as we look at this text, we're going to see that very promise and that He is doing a new thing. Which is, you know, a lot of times, particularly in the Reformed Church, we don't like to hear that word new at all. Because everything's really nice and old. Well, we're going to see what He means when He says new thing here. How we should shake off the old and embrace the new. So with that, I have three points for us to look at. The new way versus the old way. And then, of course, then the way of Christ. And so with that, let's look together at the text. Isaiah chapter 43, starting at verse 16. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Isaiah 43, starting at verse 16. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea... A path in the mighty waters who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me and the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, river in the, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call upon the name of Jacob. Another will write in his hand, the Lord's. And the name himself by the name of Israel. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. <clears throat> so just a little bit of context. Remember last week we read through uh, the first part of 43. And we this idea that God must discipline a stubborn people. He in no way was going to leave them at all. He was no way going to leave them. He's always going to be with them. He was walking with them even through the fire that he himself created for them. Not only that, but we are to be and they were to be his witnesses. We saw that same call upon our own lives and what that looks like. 
The last thing we looked at last week is that this prophesied fall of Babylon, there in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 43, that this is going to trigger the return of the people of Israel to the nation of Israel. They're going to return to temple worship and all the distinctives that made them the people of God. We get a tiny taste of what that must have been like here. And we, and you think about last time or last year, this time we weren't meeting together. We had, we kind of had this small taste of what that must have felt like to not be together for, for an extended period of time. Well, for them, it was 70 years when they didn't have this temple worship and they didn't have all the distinctives that made them who they were. God would, they were people of God without the prophets, without priests, without leaders. They were unable to worship at the temple, this place that was built for them to commune with their Lord. But now they were going to return back to that temple. And so with this, Isaiah calls up the image of another time that Israel had to make a long trek through a difficult place in order to get to the place that God called their home. So as we go through this, that is our backdrop. Something that we can all relate with a little bit. Because while we travel this treacherous life that we call life on earth, we long for a place that Jesus is preparing for us. Sometimes that longing for us is even too much to bear. And so as we look at this, look with me again at verses 16 and 17. The new way. Verses 16 and 17. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea. A path in the mighty waters who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. And so what would this bring to mind if you were an Israelite? This understanding that he's making a path in the middle of the sea. That horses and warriors are going to be extinguished as they go into that path. Well, this is a picture of the Exodus. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. I want to look at this so this can be our backdrop. This is important. I'm not going to read this whole chapter. I'm just going to kind of skip around in Exodus 14, starting around verse 10. This is a story that we're all familiar with, probably one of the most familiar stories in all of Scripture to even people who aren't believers. So just remember the story. The people of God are being chased out of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Sounds just like something that they would say, right? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is it is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. I don't remember them saying that. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Skip to verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Remember, they're up against the Red Sea. To go forward, lift up your staff, stretch it out over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get the glory 
over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night that made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. Can't even imagine this. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord in a pillar of fire and in a cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters might come back on the Egyptians upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed the Lord and in his servant Moses. And wouldn't it be great if things stopped right there and that would be like a nice, neat story that Israel believed and they trusted Moses and everything was going to be good. It's not good if you just keep reading a few more chapters. It stops being good. This is one of the most incredible events in history. We can't even imagine this happening. It's just so big and so vast. And the physical forces involved alone are just so mind-boggling. And the Lord just simply says, you know, I'm going to divide the waters. You're going to walk through, and they're not. And I'm going to get the glory. He commands all these things. They're all his to command. He hardens the hearts of Pharaoh and his men. He encourages the people of Israel all at the same time. The people who witnessed this, though, they're going to soon start complaining again. And we see the results of that ultimately all the way in Isaiah. Even today, we still see the results of that because we do the same thing. This is the kind of thing that became part of their lore, part of their identity as a people, part of their heritage, not only recorded in the scriptures, but written on the hearts of God's people throughout generations that the Lord fought for them and they won this battle. And so if you go back to Isaiah 43, this significant event that Isaiah alludes to, verses 16 and 17, this incredible thing that happened to the people of Israel, look at verse 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. So God's saying, all that, remember that? Well, don't remember that, because I'm doing this new thing. And it's not that the old thing was bad. Obviously, it was incredible. It was amazing. But now I'm doing this new thing. It's easy to get mired in the things of the past. Those ruts that are so easy to travel in, that are so hard to get out of. And what is this new thing? Well, he's, he's going to make a new way in the wilderness, is what he tells us. But verse 19, Behold, I'm doing a new thing, and now springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. It's pretty incredible. 
in the wilderness. And I love that he mentions jackals and ostriches of all the animals in the wilderness. Those are the two. That's just, I just love stuff like that. Ostriches. I mean, I guess that represents the wilderness, ostriches. But this is a continued theme in the book, right? That he is going to take this wilderness that is just bleak and horrible, and he's going to make a highway through it. So much so that everyone around will see. And it's not just going to be his covenant people. It's going to go out to all the nations, to the coastlands and the islands, like the things that we read in previous chapters. This time, rather than taking the sea and making it dry, he's going to take the dry and make it the sea. He's going to make rivers in the desert. The Lord has a people for himself. He will turn nature upside down to prepare a way for them. We see this in the ultimate fulfillment, of course, in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came Not only did he master nature when he came, we read about that in Mark, right? He told the storm to stop and it just listened. He mastered nature, but he also mastered sin and death, preparing a way for all who would call upon his name to be saved, making a highway in the wilderness. Israel wouldn't be without trials as they wandered back to Israel from Babylon. And when they arrived, it's going to be some years still before Jesus, their Savior, would come. And they're going to be tempted over and over again to go back into their old ways. And well, if you just read, that's exactly what they did. And if we're not careful, brothers and sisters in Christ, we tend to do the exact same thing. Now, I'm not suggesting here, when you hear these words new way again, the word new is just almost just kicked out completely of reformed handbooks. There's no such thing as a reformed handbook, by the way. But the word new just kind of like, ooh, there's no new things. What are we, what are we saying here? I'm not suggesting a new way of worship or a new way to be saved or anything silly like that, obviously. In fact, one of the great things about our faith is that the old paths are still the right paths for us to be going down. We are still a people who worship God alone according to his word alone. We are a people who are dependent upon Christ alone for salvation. We love that verse in Ephesians 4, right? One body, one spirit, just as you were called with one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father who is over all and in all. We love that verse. These things have not changed. It's not as if Isaiah is suggesting that these things have changed at all. Paul was writing after Isaiah said this, obviously. Yet... As we look at the world around us, so many things have changed. Almost everything but these things have changed. I mean, imagine Israel in Babylon for 70 years. Most of the people who went to Babylon wouldn't be going back to, Bab- back to Israel. People who were going back didn't even know what Israel was. They, were only, they only ever knew Babylon as their home. The political landscape had completely changed in the years since their exile. Their land had changed. The people have changed. It's almost like our own times. The land has changed. People, technology, all of these things. Life is completely different than it was a generation ago or two or three or how many ever you want to go back. People have different problems, require different ways to think about things, all that stuff. 
And as we face this new kind of future, we tend to look at the past and we idealize it. If we could just get back to those times, we all have in our heads what that good old time was. And we all have these things that we say about the good times that we thought were right then and aren't right now. You know, if people, people just aren't raising their kids right anymore. Because obviously I'm raising mine correctly. It's a thing that we don't say because I'd be impolite. People just don't have respect anymore. Like me. Or people don't do whatever. You fill in the blank. You have the thing. But the unspoken part at the end of that is obviously like I do. As if we're some bastion of truth, honor, and morality that the world should look to for all of its difficult things. We're not. We're people too. For us to move forward as a church, we must understand that the old way for us sometimes was not a good thing. In fact, oftentimes it's not. We struggle with this idea that this new thing or the old thing. We need to understand what he's talking about when he gets to this. And so that brings me to the second point, verse 22, the old way. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob. You have been weary of me, O Israel. This probably isn't what we'd expect to find here. God just announced that he's going to bring Israel back and he's going to show them a new way through the wilderness. It's going to be this great thing. We wouldn't expect for him to kind of go back to this judgment talk, but of course he does. He talks about the old ways of Israel doing things were not good. He sums all of those things up and he says, but you have been weary of me. Basically, what he's saying here is Israel has become exhausted with the ways of God. And this is evidenced by the fact that they've chased after other gods throughout almost their entire existence. They've chased after other gods, some other gods, some other place. They've chased after it, not the one true God, the one that they literally watched stand the Red Sea up on its end. They don't chase after him any longer. Verses 23 and 24. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. The ways that they used to show God their love have now become weary to them. Here God mentions that sacrificial system in which the people would offer sacrifices to atone for the sins. But notice, rather than sacrifice for their sins, they have just burdened God with their sins instead. Rather than offering sacrifices, they've piled them up and they've burdened God with them. And while they have become weary of God, God has become weary with them also. And God is right, of course, to be weary with a wearisome people, whereas the people of God are completely wrong to be weary of the one who has only ever done good for them, only ever shown them mercy again and again. Yet they have grown weary of his mercy. We don't have the stretch far to see this in our own day. 
The God of the Bible is kind of a relic now. He's been replaced with this kind of happy-go-lucky God that just kind of says these sayings that you can't really find in the Bible, but they sound pretty good. That God that bends on the whims of people really just become whatever we want Him to become any time. We just kind of have to think and believe. I watched quite a bit of these of interactions between a man by the name of Todd Friel. Uh, if you look him up, just know that he's a little bit rough. Maybe that's why I like him. Uh, he interacts with college students quite a bit. And, and he was on a campus near where he lives. And so many times he's doing open air preaching and Christians will come up to the mic and he'll interact with these Christians. And the Christians are upset with him. And they're upset with him because he's preaching judgment. The people, he's judgment of the people who don't believe in Jesus. He's saying that people who don't believe in Jesus will be judged for their sins. You know, just like the Bible says. And they'll say things like, well, and they'll even come up in tears, just completely distraught. This breaks my heart because I worship a God of love. And he wouldn't do that. So Mr. Friel will read John 14, 6 aloud to them. Every time where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are Jesus' words. And he asks them, does a person have to believe in Jesus to be saved? According to what Jesus said, the professed Christian who, who affirms that they believe in the one who spoke those words that I just said and quoted, they will say, I think as long as the person is sincere in their faith, there can be multiple ways. To God. This isn't just college students. It's not like college students are the dumb ones and they get smarter when they get out. No, 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 no. There's a famous uh, smiling pastor on national television when asked, do Hindus who, who don't believe in Jesus, do they go to heaven? And he said, well, I don't know. I've seen their sincerity, so I just don't know. Why have we become weary with God? Why have, become, why have we become weary with His Word and His truth? It's not as if the Gospel is expensive and we have limited quantities of the Gospel. It's free for us. It's free for them. It was incredibly expensive for the Father who gave His only begotten Son so that whoever believes can have eternal life. But for some reason, we think it's socially expensive for us to offer that same thing to someone else. What does it cost me? The Gospel. It costs me belief. Not sincerity. Not a big old slice of good vibes and good feelings. Not my good works because I don't have any of those. Belief in the one who does. Belief in Jesus Christ. That's all it costs. Yet because we are weary of God, we'll make other requirements. We'll take that one away and we'll make these other ones. We'll replace his word with feel-good stories, motivational speeches. Replace worship of God with the worship of how we worship We'll replace the sacraments with empty ceremonies, with trinkets. Replace the truth about God and we'll exchange it for a lie. We'll still want to be called the church of God. That's not possible. Our old way is to look at the fruit and to look at it and think that it is able to make us wise instead of the God who created it. 
our old way is to look at the idols that we make and think, hmm, that seems like a good thing, rather than look at all the mercy and grace that God has given us. And so what do we do? Well, the answer is always the same. We repent. We return to Jesus. We believe in the simple gospel truth that Christ alone is who saves us and who sustains us. And that brings us to the last point, the way of Christ. Look with me at verse 25. It says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Think about all that we've just talked about. How is it possible that God would do this? How is it possible that he would, that he would even consider? It's like the song that we sing. And can it be that I would gain? And can it be that we, he would give us anything at all based on what we have done and based on who he is? It definitely has nothing to do with us. It's not that I'm a good person or I think good thoughts or anything like that. Instead, it's because he made a people for himself and he will do whatever it takes to have those people. When you look at verses 26 and 28 there, you might look at this and think, well, his mercy sure was short-lived. Verse 25 seems merciful and 26 and 28 don't. But rather, what you see is the Lord tearing down that old way. Tearing down your father first sinned. Your mediators transgressed against me. The sins of the father, their profanity of the temple, all those things are put away. Rather now, I'm going to do this new thing. Rather than writing the law on tablets of stone requiring the blood of goats, he's going to write the word on the hearts of people and he's going to require the blood of a redeemer. And that Redeemer is Jesus Christ. Verses 1 through 5 in, first, in chapter 44. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, who I have chosen. I will pour water on a thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by the flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call upon the name of Jacob. The people are going to be calling upon the name of the Lord. Another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. This is familiar sounding, or at least it should be. Because it's a common thread throughout the Old Testament that there's prophesied a day that is coming when these things will be true. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. I just love how all this stuff connects because it, it lets us know that it's coming from one God who speaks the truth. With those things that we just read from Isaiah 44 in your ears, consider this from Jeremiah who will write a hundred years later. Jeremiah 31 verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of, the, out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. 
I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall, shall each one teach his neighbor. And each one say to his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Notice how this matches up with what we just read in Isaiah 44. They weren't contemporaries. They didn't get together and decide these things. Isaiah died. Jeremiah did his ministry a hundred years later. They both preached at about a time that would happen. They both preached about a Savior that would come. There's going to be a highway, Isaiah called it. Jeremiah didn't use that terminology, but the same sort of thing. In the wilderness, in the hearts of his people, and the people are going to say to one another, I am the Lord's. They won't even have to teach each other that anymore. They're already going to know it. And then many years later, there came a voice of one calling, in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. John the Baptist, and the same man, he's the same one that pointed to Jesus and said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah saw the day of Jesus coming. He was glad to see it and preach about it. He saw a new day dawning. The old would be gone. The new day coming. What about it for us today? Jesus isn't new news by any stretch. But we've sadly made him old news so many times. Let us turn again only to the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to save sinners like me and like you. For the church, this is glorious because we deserve death, but we get mercy, we get life for eternity. We get to be his witnesses and we get to share this message of hope. And for the unbeliever hearing this, understand this is the only message of hope. It's not as if there's these other messages that you could also find that also lead to God, because there's not. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way except through Him, Jesus Christ. So I am absolutely saying all other ways lead to death. And that death isn't over when you die. It's not as if you made a bad choice and you're like, oh, well, that's okay, I guess. I lived a good life. That death is only the beginning, and it will last for all eternity. Rather than do that, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. It's free. That offer is free. So in conclusion, church, the old way is a rut that we can't get out of. The old way where we turn to our own gods that we have created is the way of death. Let us turn instead to Jesus. Offer to a world the same Christ that Isaiah, Jeremiah, John, and many others have done before us. The world is changing, but he never does. The world changes. Let us offer them Jesus. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you many times, we see the old things as the good things, the things that we have created as the only things, the ways that we have called good as the only way. We've created a gospel for ourselves. Lord, help us to cast off those things and instead preach you, the one true gospel, the only way to the Father. Lord, we pray that you would help us to do this, that we would be faithful witnesses of this message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.